Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness, great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gagel, and I am so excited to welcome Sarah Macris, career success coach, to the Greatness Podcast. Welcome, Sarah. Hello, Gretchen. It's lovely to be here. Yeah. Sarah and I have just recently met, and Sarah reached out to me as a fan of the Greatness Podcast, which I always love it when people um, reach out and say, hey, I'm actually listening to what you're recording. And I am really intrigued, Sarah, by your passion for inspiring and and encouraging more professionals to put themselves out there. Tell us a little bit about how you developed that passion. Sure. So I um, spent my, I've spent most of my career in corporate communications. So I've worked for a couple of big corporates in Australia and I worked in corporate affairs. So I spent um, a lot of time in the media um, and investor relations side and government and helping and supporting leaders um, from a corporate affairs perspective, so managing their reputation. But it was really at the CEO level, the director level, and and the leadership team. But what I recognised was how many people don't get that support. And um, and I think the way things have changed these days is there's so much more focus on the fact that you do actually need to be managing your reputation. And that's why, um, and that's for me, that was um, something that I really recognised that, mm, you know, I wanted to be able to support more people than just the people that, you know, companies companies provide it for. So when I left, um, left the corporate world to have children, I decided to, um, I spent quite a bit of time on what I really loved and what I wanted to do. Uh, and it's funny how these things have a way of coming back to you. So, um, yeah, so then I started my business and now I get to work with amazing, um, amazing people who are looking to sort of fast track their career and, um, and step up and own their personal brand. All right. And it's very interesting. You and I were just talking prior to jumping on this about kind of my focus. It's It's been interesting coming to Australia and starting a women's leadership program for the Australian Pipeline and Gas Association, which I realized I, I had the danger of kind of branding myself as the women's leadership person, which is what I've actually never done before. I've been a strategic advisor in the construction industry. So most of the people I'm interacting with in the world are male. Mm-hmm. And and people have a tendency to think that this personal branding issue is more of a female issue, but it really is a male and female challenge. How do we go about helping people be more visible and confident in order to reach their full potential. Where does that where does that framework start for you? Um, so I really start at the very beginning in terms of their goal. Where actually do they see themselves? And I think uh, for me, this is something I'm very passionate about: is really taking control of your career rather than. Um, and I think a lot of senior and successful executives find themselves in a situation where they have been tapped on the shoulder. They've never had to write a resume because they've always known somebody who might get them the next role. And then things change. And whether that change is because um, what's, you know, what was working isn't working or they just it's just a matter of the change that happens um, in corporate life, that suddenly they have to think about a lot more clearly about where they want to go. And I think it's a great opportunity at the same time. So, you know, where do I want to be in five years? What do those next steps look like? And for some of my clients, that's a change in um, change of career like completely you know our industry so um but sometimes we don't really sit there and ask ourselves that what is 
what, where do I want to go? What is, what is the things that I enjoy? And uh, how did I actually get to where I am now? So we start there with the goals and, uh, and also around how are you perceived? I really like to get a really good feel with how you're perceived by your peers and leaders and so forth, people that you interact with versus um, also your own character assessments. Like is it in alignment? So for me that's, that's the starting point. So I want to unpack both of those things. I'm going to start with the second one, how you're perceived. I always ask the women's leadership cohort at the end of the first couple of hours and we're talking about personal brand, you know, what five words would you use to describe me? After two hours, everybody has a brand. You just may not know what that brand is. The funniest the last one came up with was eccentric. I'm not sure exactly what that means. (laughs) I get called that too sometimes. (laughs) To to go ask people, what five words would you use to describe me? It's very interesting to see that. How is your personal brand um, perceived? Mm -hmm. I really like your comment about, and you talk about a lot about dream roles and to, to be really thoughtful and, and just to share a story. And then I'd, I'd love to hear a, a similar story, maybe from somebody that you've coached. I was leaving the Women's Foundation of Colorado and I took a good friend out to lunch. And I said, I said to her, Raylene, I, I love to raise money. I love to raise money for things I'm passionate about. And I, I think my time is done here. I think I've done, you know, I doubled the endowment, tripled the grant making. Where should I move on to? And she said, mm-hmm. well, she started throwing out, oh, well, to you know, go work for the zoo or go work for whatever. And it really caused me to go, nope, I'm not passionate about that. What I really care about, I'm a first generation college graduate. Right. A lot of people don't know that about me. And my sister and both and I are the first to graduate from college in our family. So I went to the university that I graduated from the MBA program. I knew the dean of the business school. And I said, hey, if I were ever to raise money for another organization, this would be it in case you ever have a need. A year Mm -hmm. later, I took a job in San Francisco. I'm commuting to San Francisco every week, every other week from Denver, which was my other office was in New York. It was very challenging. And I my mother had was in the beginnings of Alzheimer's. I mean, a lot was going on. And this woman called me. And recruited me back to become an assistant dean at the university. Mm-hmm. So I also tell people that, you know, talk to people about that dream role. And it may not happen like that didn't happen immediately, but it happened a year later. Yes, I think that's that's so true. And having I really encourage my um, the people that I work with to have informational interviews with with the people that they and like work. Like if you've got an idea you might like to have, you know, start with your list of your top 10 or top five places that you want to work, the companies you want to work, and then understand what it's like to work there before you start um, applying for roles and um, and really get a feel for the culture and other people. How does the structure work and can you actually make an impact? Because some, some companies, the reality is it's a lot harder to make an impact than it is in others and that can be due to the culture or any of those things. Uh, so those conversations are so important. And also I believe you've got to put it out there to the universe um, that that's where you're going. And make a stand on that and say that. And then everything starts aligning when you start putting your energy and your action towards that. Yeah. So I, I'm taken back to before I joined the Women's Foundation. I was with a 
largest investment banking strategy firm in the construction industry, uh, one of six managing directors. I've been there 11 years Mm -hmm. and I'd gone back to school to get a master's in nonprofit. I started informational interviewing people in the nonprofit sector and I wasn't sure if it was just going to be joining boards and staying with my firm or what it was going to be. And two years uh, finishing my master's in nonprofit in night school, um, I was recommended for the job for the Women's Foundation of Colorado. The the CEO stepped down and someone said, hey, my, my sister's nickname is Gagel, our last name. She said, I, I think Gagel's little sister's getting a master's in nonprofit and maybe thinking about coming into this industry. I think we should have her throw her hat in the ring. And it came out of those informational interviews. And I don't, I, I often don't, I think often people forget to do them and they look at what's on offer and they think, oh, you know, this is the job that's come up or that job's come up. But if you don't actually take charge of your own career and build an, an, a year out before you're even thinking about moving, you know, that's where, you know, you should be actually starting to do those. And I think it just builds your network too, which is fantastic. I mean, who knows? What, look at the opportunities you got from that. It's amazing. The one thing, <laughs> I'm, I'm really interested in your advice about this. I kind of keep a running list of everything I'd like to be in the world. I've got um, bass player in a rock band on the list, professional golfer, which even though I've been playing almost every weekend, I don't see that on my horizon anytime soon. Math teacher in high school. Um, How do you encourage people to go about figuring out, especially if they're thinking about a change in what their dream role is? Yeah, well, first of all, definitely, I start. I definitely start with the, the informational interviews, I, and I suggest that they really um, research the companies that they want to be a part of. But also thinking about what gives them their energy. Where do they get their energy? I know from from myself, I love being on a call with my client. I, I feel energetic afterwards, whereas other people feel. And that's how I knew that coaching was the right thing for me. But um, other people find, you know, they love to do other activities that, that or they love to solve a problem or, or lead massive teams or, and, and really try and unpack what, those day, what that day actually looks like and what roles would actually lend them to it. Because often I find um, when you're talking to, to somebody about their career, there's often one company or one job that they talk about more passionately than the others. I don't know if you found that mm. before, but and I always think that that's a pretty good sign. And when I hear that, when I start hearing that passion, that's when I start asking questions around what was it that made that job so wonderful. And um, I find mm. that's true for companies as well. And often it could be twenty years mm. ago, but what was it about that place? And and uh, you know, was it there was more energy in there that you could get things done, you could make an impact. So um, that's what I always look out for. Yeah. So what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes people make in their personal brand or how they think about their personal brand? I think, first of all, people have a hesitation towards it because they think they will uh, be seen as, especially in Australia, um, uh, you know, the tall poppy syndrome, they'll be seen as show-offs or, self, you know, shameless self-promoters. So they don't do anything about it and they just let it sort of... Um, you know, not, not really have a direction, no strategy, no career strategy. So no career strategy, being scared of, of actually putting themselves out there and starting to think about the work for personal branding. I see a lot of people think that, and I, I'm, I'm always amazed at this, that a lot of people think that if I'm not looking for a job, I don't need to worry about personal branding, <laughs> which I think mm-hmm. um, which is a little bit unusual, I think, because it really is 
your, you know, brand equity, your career insurance. And um, so this, this, the more you can build that brand, the, the better chance you have of continuing to, you know, command the salary that you want and um, build your professional value. So definitely those, those ones not dealing with LinkedIn. So I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day and she was, she's, real, she's actually an ex-publicist, but she um, just, you know, sort of refuses to go on LinkedIn. And, I'm, I, and that's just um, the way things are moving so quickly these days that I really, LinkedIn is, is such a fabulous channel to actually be um, building your brand on, especially if you don't have any other assets, you know, other things that you're working towards, such as a book or a website or any of those other things. LinkedIn is a great place to start. Uh, so sometimes I see LinkedIn profiles that don't even have a, you know, a proper photo or bio or just your basic things, and that's actually damaging the brand. So there are things um, I think that, that can be real mistakes that people make. Also posting without purpose, just randomly putting things out there with no, with no strategy. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, Sarah, but, well, two things about LinkedIn. I feel like this podcast is turning into like the Gretchen Gagel story of um, personal branding, but I'm an experiential learner. So I take what you say and I try that on. I got my job with Conversant because of LinkedIn, because a friend of mine in Colorado saw that I'd moved to Australia. I wasn't looking for a job. I was, I'd started my own company over here and was lecturing at ANU. And she said, hey, the CEO of our company is going to be in Australia. We're looking for a new managing director, Asia Pacific. But she would have never known, had absolutely no idea if I hadn't been regularly posting on LinkedIn. And I went so far, I did a lot of self-reflection late last year, as many of us did mm-hmm. through the pandemic, of restating my eight priorities in life on LinkedIn over a span of about six weeks my, my personal vision statement, which is to leave the world a better place than I found it. Yeah. And my priorities, my priorities, a mother, my priorities as an athlete, as someone who's helpful to people. Um, and just to kind of put those out there, because a, it holds me accountable to my life priorities. And it really lets people know this is kind of what Gretchen stands for. That this whole tall poppy syndrome, I've been working hard since moving here to not be the arrogant American since I, and and really trying to deeply understand the Australian culture. Yes. Well, it's, it's, it can really work against people, but, and I find that one of the things that it, it could work against them as in it holds them back because you don't have to be, uh, and, and I, I, I strongly believe that if you're built, if you're adding value to people and you're doing it in the right way and you're sharing your learnings and you're trying to help people, that is not, you cannot be targeted for being, you know, a, a tall poppy or someone who's a shameless self-promoter. And mm-hmm. often I think that bit is where people get confused. They think, well, if I am going to build my brand, it has to be around me and, and, and me um, sort of bragging about myself but it's actually quite the opposite it's about what the value you bring to everybody else Mm. I I'm taken back to the very first cohort of women in the women's leadership program at the Australian Pipeline and Gas Association here in Melbourne we kicked off the first cohort in 2019 and I was walking to dinner with a woman and we had been practicing value statements Mm -hmm. And how to make a value statement in just the way you just talked about in a value statement includes your team. It includes, you know, I, I 
my whole philosophy in life has to been has been to hire people smarter than me mm-hmm. and yeah. learn from them and harness their energy. It, it's really not about me. Um, and she said, I just can't come up with a value statement. And I said, well, what's been going, you know, we're just walking down the sidewalk to dinner. And she said, well, I just worked on a project and I did all the communications for it. And we just won this big award. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I said, well, wow. Okay. That sounds like a value statement to me, but it was like, well, I don't want to come across as bragging about this or, or whatever. And I'm, I'm like, okay, so let's just talk about how you would, how you would say this, how excited you were to be a member of a team that really crushed it when it came to community involvement to the point where you were nominated for an award. How, how could we make that feel good for you? Mm. Yes. So this, this also leads me into another question. So just to, just to this, I'm, the irony of this is amazing because not 20 minutes before we got on this podcast recording, I have a new large client here in Australia and we're doing informational interviews with the executive team. And he pointed out to me that one thing I need to be careful of is being an American. He's actually lived in America, but he's Australian. So he's been through it in the reverse direction and being sensitive to the cultural differences, which I've, I've worked hard to do since I came over here. I want to, I want to ask you about imposter syndrome, because you talk about boosting your confidence, even when you feel like a fraud. And it's actually a topic that came up in a family discussion with my children recently. And we were just talking about confidence and things like that. Talk to me about how this manifests itself in your clients. Mm, sure. And I've, I've, you know, I've experienced it myself. I sat on my first leadership executive team at 26 and I was, <laughs> to say I felt like a, a fraud <laughs> is an understatement. Um, and I was very conscious of, you know, just the fact that a lot of the people around me had a lot more experience and there was a whole heap of things going on for me in that space. So I definitely, I can definitely relate to that. And, but I also know that it can hold you back. And so I see it when I talk to, uh, look, I, in fact, I would say most people that you speak to at some point in their career have experienced it. I think the statistics around 70%, but definitely the people that I speak to. And I, it can come, you know, because a lot of people are very, when you're a high achiever as well, you have big expectations of yourself. So that um, that can play out in lots of ways. But what I find is um, things can rock people as well, certain certain situations or a change in dynamics in the team or changes at work. They can all they can all sort of impact on your your confidence. And one of the things that I find um, it's interesting because when I first started my business and um, working with the personal branding side of things, which obviously I was doing in corporate, but now I was doing it sort of in, in, at a different sort of um, individual level. I couldn't believe the the massive shift in confidence that comes from building your brand. I think that was a really big awakening because people um, would come to me and say, I need this, this, I want to get this role, I'm really excited, you know, but I'm lacking a bit of confidence. And, and by the time we'd worked through what they wanted to be known for, where they were heading, uh, worked on key message development in terms of, you know, if, let's, create, let's make sure that you really are the expert that you say you are and, and how do we get you to own your lane rather than just float between different lanes feeling like you have to be a bit of this and a bit of that and across this and across that and often that does happen uh and so that was a really big a big part of sort of I think that's where I've seen big shifts is actually from taking that plunge and going okay I'm just going to build my brand and I'm going to start the work on that 
the confidence is this massive result that comes from it. Even though you get all these other benefits, <laughs> it's amazing how much that imposter syndrome suddenly is is dealt with a lot easier, a lot more easily. Yeah, I think you said something really important there. We all have it. So this is yeah. this is the um, one of the things I was talking to my kids about. We do a weekly. I talk to my kids a lot, but I try and get them both. They're twenty four and twenty five with their partners on a call once a week in the United States. We were just talking about raising your hand for things. I sit on the board of a large general contractor in the United States uh, that just formed their board. I was one of two um, of their first outside directors. And the founder of the organization said, hey, I'm ready to step down as chair three months ago. And um, who's interested? And so I thought about it. And a week later, I sent him an email and said, hey, if, if the CEO thinks I'm a good fit, I think that partnership's really important. But here's why I think I'd make a good chair. And lo and behold, last week, I was elected chair mm. of the board. And I told my kids, um, you know, two lessons here, raise your hand, you can always say no, you know, you, you're not committing yourself by saying, hey, I might be interested in being chair of the board and exploring that. And is it going to be hard? Yes. And then I said, I had an, Oh, you know, bleep. I'm, I'm now chair of the board of this company. <laughs> like uh, Instantaneous imposter syndrome. There's not a lot of women chairing large general contractor boards. And, um, but Hey, I, I also know that I can ask for help that I have great mentors and that I have a great partnership with the CEO and great members on the board. Once again, surrounding yourself with the smartest people. Yeah, we all have imposter syndrome and we all have stories we tell ourselves in our heads and trying to stay focused, I think, on those positive stories um, like athletes with the positive visioning that you're going to do a good job at something versus thinking about everything that can possibly go wrong. Yeah, and I think uh, the other thing that I I'm a big believer in these days because uh, I was I think I was definitely um, especially when I first started my business there was you know that was that that sort of oh my god am I doing the right thing and all of those things that come up which I, I imagine you know is part of that whole lacking of confidence or imposter syndrome but I really pushed myself to do a lot of really scary things and that built my confidence a lot. And I actually was so surprised by how much it did. Like I, I really hated doing videos and so I started doing, I committed to doing five live webinars and I had 450 people um, registered for the first one I did and I was so, so nervous. And But I just did it and, um, and I sort of had these other ones ready to go. So I sort of, uh, I think for me that was a big shift. Now I look for those scary things because I know how much confidence is going to be on the other end of it. Yeah. Uh. That is great, great advice. So uh, I, I, we could talk about this for hours. I'm so passionate about this. As I said, I tell people, you have a brand. Yes. You have a brand. You may not know what your brand is, so why not take control of it and, and see how people really envision you? So for our listeners out there, what's one or two great starting points to think about visibility and personal brand? Mm-hmm. I would say, first of all, obviously you've got to do the work. So you've got to do the work in terms of where you are today. But I, I think that if you can get your value proposition, you know, what's the value that you bring, uh, and really nail that and get really clear on what you want to be known for. So uh, one or two things. Um, make sure you really are an expert in those, those fields. 
But I think number one thing that gets underrated a lot is creating content. And I think there's a statistic of something like 1% to 2% of people on LinkedIn create content, which I think is, and content is not sharing something or, you know, liking something or commenting. I'm talking about creating something that you've actually thought about and put out there. And uh, there's such an opportunity to build your brand just by creating content. That is my number one piece of advice. I can tell you lots of other different things, but if you can create content and you can stick to it and you can provide quality and value to your audience, your brand will skyrocket. Yes. And that content is internal. It's not just about the the LinkedIn posts and things. It's the content that you're bringing to the thinking of your organization as well. Yes. What, what are you known for as a thought leader? I designed and taught a course on thought leadership at ANU, and it was really interesting to think about how am I viewed as a thought leader, an influential thought leader within my company for my, for my expertise. So, yes. And it's interesting because I was looking at a client's PD the other day that she wanted me to have a look at, and in there it had one of the capabilities or one of the requirements was that you were a thought leader in your organisation. And I actually hadn't seen that on a PD before, so I thought that was quite an interesting one. Yeah, Sarah, so wonderful. I'm so glad you reached out to me. Um, it, it's interesting when you put podcasts out into the world, I get messages from people every once in a while. Hey, I found your podcast. I love it. <laughs> and as I as I tell people, it's really my excuse to speak to the brightest people in the world. It's a complete indulgence on my part. You've shared some great tips for our listeners today around personal branding and confidence and taking yourself out there for your dream role and living to your full potential. I really appreciate you taking time to stop by the Greatness Podcast. Thank you, Gretchen. It's been a pleasure. Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you. Thank you.